Hey everybody, welcome to Afterthoughts, where each week we discuss a movie that we watched this past week. Uh, I am your host this evening, Michael Dixon. Joining me as always, John Garcia. Hey, hey, I contemplated doing a French accent. I really did, I won't lie. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I don't no, want no. to offend the French. You know, those frogs, they... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I could... Uh, I, I, I think I speak uh, on behalf of all the listeners when I say we, we really want to hear your French accent, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's gonna be like a Nicolas cage accent isn't it i've never tried a french accent in a while and it's just like really uh fuck it we'll do it all right oh welcome to the after thoughts podcast i'm excited to talk about the man escape to how you say uh yes okay all right uh all right. Not, not horrible i guess uh oui, ryan, oui. <laughs> also with us ryan king what were your thoughts on on that french accent ryan yeah do you remember it's all that when Keenan Thompson did the like French guy in the yes. bathtub uh, skits. Yeah, That's cool. exactly what you just did. Please remove your banjo from my belly button. I'm going to apologize in advance for my pronunciation of Bresson. It's fine. Brisson is, is uh, fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have to do it's more see, like, you know, I will croissant, say it, you brisson. Brisson. <laughs> I will probably say it different every single time. So just <laughs> it's advance notice. Okay. So uh, as John and Ryan have hinted at there, the movie we're talking about this week is the 1956 masterpiece by Robert Brisson, A Man Escaped or The Wind Blows Where It Wishes. Um, I always forget it has... A full title like that, mostly it was commonly known as the Man Escaped, uh, or no a colon, Man Escaped. Though. No but, colon, just yeah, no colon, just <laughs> uh, just or. Um, but yeah, a Man Escaped is uh, you know uh, it's it's one of Brisson's most favorite films. Brisson is a director that I have mentioned countless times on this podcast, and we have never discussed one of his movies because I was very concerned that no one would listen to the podcast if we did, but we're doing it anyway. So, <laughs> uh, Brisson is a fascinating director to me. He's, he's a French director that, um, you know, kind of got, uh, notoriety starting in the early 1950s. Uh, he's actually born around the turn of the century and was, was, you know, middle-aged when he started kind of getting notoriety for his films. But, um, his approach to filmmaking is so unique and different than any director I've, I've ever seen. And, and, you know, we'll get into more of that as we discuss the movie, but, um, he, he views most movies as filmed plays and he doesn't like actors emoting because he thinks it come across, it comes across as like hollow and fake on camera. And he thinks the way that you can best display human emotion is actually by removing emotion from the performance in the actor and creating it through other filmmaking techniques, uh, such as cinematography or sound design or, you know, framing, editing, music cues um, to kind of create that connection with the audience. And he viewed, uh, you know, cinema as something that is, should be different entirely from theater and it should be something beyond that and become its own art that is different from just an, an evolution of theater into a more accessible medium. Um, a man escaped is about a French prisoner in a, um, Nazi prison camp in Vichy, France in 1943. Um, the lead character Fontaine has attempted to blow up a bridge 
and uh, you know conspiring with the French Revolution in order to push back against the Nazis. He's been captured and imprisoned for that, and the story is about him attempting to escape and and get out of the prison. Uh, it's based on a true story, uh, an account written by a real French prisoner who actually did escape a Nazi prison and his telling of that story. And Brisson was really moved by it and was impressed by kind of the mat- cold matter effect nature of the way that he told the story and, and wanted to put that into the movie and to try to, to translate that style over into film. And I think it works really well. I, I think A Man Escaped is probably the best movie I've ever seen at building tension. Um, and it does it in a very subtle fashion. It's like the what's not on camera is very important. The sounds that you're hearing off screen are very important. Um, the sound design is used to intensify the sound of scratching and footsteps and, and things like that that make every second uh, very tense. And, you know, there's these long scenes of Fontaine just carving away at panels on his on his cell door with a spoon and you know he's just terrified that a guard might show up at any time and he's ready to you know he has a a whole process of reassembling the door and hiding away all the tools very quickly if if he needs to do so um and it just builds tension this way that is just palpable and it, it you know the movie is it almost feels minimalist in certain ways but i would actually argue that it's it's not it's it's actually doing a lot um and creating a really intense atmosphere with the filmmaking techniques that it's employing. Um, the only other kind of similar, uh, you know, ways I've seen tension built are like, you know, Sergio Leone with like a fistful of dollars or once upon a time in the West. But those movies are a little bit more, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, like over the top. Bombastic. Than, yeah. Then, uh, uh, then Brisson's are. And um, Henri George Clouseau in wages of fear, I think does it similarly in some of the scenes of like the truck driving on the the rotting bridge and things like that. But Brisson is really kind of the master of that in in this movie, particularly. Um, A a lot of his films are about spirituality and, um, you know, potentially a character going through some sort of salvation process. And, you know, in in A Man Escaped, it's very literal, like leaving of prison and, and attaining freedom. Um, but I, I think this movie is just fascinating to to watch. And it's just Brisson is so distinct from any other filmmaker and seeing what he does on screen. I'm always fascinated by it, even if it's a movie of his that I've seen before and I return to it. it I'm always kind of slapped in the face by it because it's just so different than any other filmmaker out there and his unique style. So I, I think it's like it's the best prison break movie I've ever seen. I think it's just so intense and and really well done the way it kind of slowly gives you information um he focuses a lot on physical actions like shots of hands doing work like just the the process of fontaine going about his task of trying to get out of the prison very meticulously and it it builds the tension so well through that process so yeah i'm really excited to hear what you guys think about this movie so uh, i'll kick it over to john yeah, so this movie is my second Robert Bresson film. The first one was uh, L'Argent, which is his last film that he ever made. Love L'Argent. So I basically have an exposure to sort of a beginning and an end of Bresson's career as he wanted to see it, and a totally different angle of like him getting his techniques down and what he wants to do. Like I can see little things in this movie that, like ripple out into the rest of what will eventually become his career. 
it is kind of fascinating. Um, I was also just reminded of, you know, Fritz Lang and, and M. Um, oh, yeah. Interesting. And how like there's that use of sound I, I, that it's just so meticulous and surgical to really bring the outside of the frame into your mind the entire time the movie's going. Um, this is a movie that uh, I watched with Sasha. We watched it. I think relatively late at night and it gripped both of us. Like she stayed awake through the whole movie, um, despite it being relatively quiet and almost lulling and how like some of the deafening sounds and like the white noise could kind of pile up. Um, there was, there was just such a, uh, fixation on like, is this actually going to work? Is this escape plan going to be, you know, neither of us is going to look behind, uh, on like a Wikipedia article and try to figure out, Oh, it's based on a true story. Did it actually happen (laughs) or what's going to happen here? Like, I think about halfway through, I was like, well, he, got st- he has to get out because um, we're watching the movie that's based on the story, right? But at the same time, he turns to like a priest and is like, if anything happens to me, just like, here's my paper of what, what I wrote and what I did. And I was like, oh, that could also have been how things get out. Shit. I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> at the end of this movie. This tension build is crazy. Um, <clears throat> watching that and kind of listening to the sounds be built up. Like there's a, a lexicon of sounds that you start to become familiar with from the jailer's keys to the scraping of wood, to the knocks between walls, knowing whether or not people are certain places spatially. Brisson like just guides you through it. And I had such a, a fantastic time um, really trying to pick up on everything he wanted me to in the film. And it is one of those things where like, you know, if Brisson could do this with the medium of film, I want to know what other mediums he could do something with. Cause he seems like somebody who wants to innovate beyond the boundaries of what a medium is allowing you to do or what people think it's conventionally for. And, uh, that's, that's, I want to see more directors that do that. Larjan changed a lot of how I see film. And, um, this movie just continues to build on like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm like being reminded now because obviously Larjan is like almost maximalist, Brisson yeah um, at that end uh, it's the most Brissonian film for yes. sure he kind of <laughs> becomes more and more himself as he goes through his career and his uh like his films get um just further and further away from anything that you would describe as like a traditional piece of cinema and just kind of really doubling down on all these concepts that we've talked about in kind of more extreme ways which is fascinating to see um A Man Escaped I think is his most approachable film it's a really good entry yeah, point to kind of experience his aesthetic yeah. Um, so th- this is definitely one of those, I did this backwards probably, but I'm also a person that is not going to be put off by a movie, like jumping in with Larjan at the end or the beginning of something like that's not going to put me off from seeing a director. It just makes me want to see them more. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed this. Uh, Sasha gave it a thumbs up as well. Sasha really nice. enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I- I'm kind of interested to talk about favorite parts and things that are most memorable for all of us. But, uh, I'll kick things over to Ryan for for his impressions. Yeah, this is my first time watching any Brisson. Um so I don't I don't even think I was that familiar. French cinema is kind of a further out for me. I'm not always into it. Mm-hmm. Um I kind of look at this movie in two different ways, like as I'm as I'm thinking about it and how to talk about it. One is kind of just on its own watching it, thinking from someone from the outside who just like, oh, I watch movies and then that's it. Like I just watch and I enjoy them is what they are. It is a good escape movie, kind of, I guess, because of the way that Brisson does things, sort of like the ultimate distilled prison escape movie mm-hmm. without without any of the fluff. Um, but I think to that end, it 
it doesn't have anything that's like standout memorable per se. Like the experience is there, but I don't know that there's anything that's like, oh man, remember when you know this happened or this perfect shot or something that kind of sticks in your mind. Mm. Uh, but as a film enthusiast, I, it's a completely different experience because I'm sitting there looking at like in this time period that this movie was coming out, we still have like 12 Angry Men that we talked about recently where it's like just a fucking play. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Right. What this is not this like, you know, even what you were saying about Rasan, I'm like, this isn't a play. It is a movie like he is using the camera. He's using distance of shots. He's having to tell us where things are like those things are all there. But then at the same time, nothing, none of the rest of like nothing else needs to be there. We don't even really I don't think we see any Germans faces. Right, a lot of times they're completely some guards kind of by accident, but yeah, yeah, they're completely off screen. These bullet sound, you know, the, the you know, supposedly people being shot, executions, but we hear gunfire again at a distance. The threat is there and ever present, but not really in our face as an audience. Um, we really get like exactly what our main character is getting. Like that, that actually mm-hmm. kind of really fascinated me because that's something that a lot of times bothers me of how it's like, oh well, now we need to see this thing over here because. Otherwise, we wouldn't know what the hell was going on. There's a couple times where we see something and that's like, then the guy comes out. But realistically, like we only have the same information and often the same vantage and viewpoint as our main character, uh, almost in a dreamlike state where you sort of see yourself in a third person um, and describing every little fucking detail of everything he's doing. And it's never like not important. It's all exactly everything mm-hmm. that he needs to eventually get to his escape. Um. So that like that was fascinating in this like I almost wanted to say if someone's wanting to make a movie or for students making a movie like whatever you were excited by to come in. I'm like, first, I would just be like, start with this. This is like a I don't Mm -hmm. know. What is this? What was it back then? Francs? This is like a 50 franc movie. Like We had a a prison that exists. We're getting no actors. (laughs) We're using barely any music. Uh, If you want to sure throw in some like, I don't know you know, free classical music, whatever, uh, sound, we can do all the sound outside because we're just having dialogue and we can add that shit in later. And then it's just like, just film exactly what fucking happens. And don't <laughs> try to be cute. Don't try to do anything else and just edit together like perfectly all your shots at the end, like edit together everything you need. And like there, start from that, make a functional movie. <laughs> yeah. like that that was interesting to me because I, often I think I see that like oh they see Slacker or they see you know Kevin Smith movies or whatever and like oh this would be awesome I'll do that but there's so much style where here this one almost the style is that it doesn't have all that style on top of it it really does feel like we're just filming something happen. yeah the style bleeds in through the other elements but, yeah in but way. not in a documentary way like right we're not no, we're yeah. not this like third person we're not being like told what to follow or how it works like it really is just like we're on this guy and what he's doing and that's it like we're just there we're just filming it as it happens yeah i uh i saw a, a quote about brisson i forget who said it. it was like a critic or another filmmaker who said brisson gives you exactly what you need and nothing more and yeah. I, I think that's a good way to describe kind of what he does where he uh you know he he tries to just create a, a really interesting story and um, the emotion is kind of what you bring to the film and the the sound like sucks you in to the movie and kind of makes you 
more heightened and pay more attention than you might otherwise would have if there's always fucking music playing or if you're not kind of getting this this heightened sound experience and it um it draws you in and creates a, just a different relationship to the movie i think uh, between the movie and the viewer than most films do um but yeah i, I think that's a um you know it's an interesting way to to look at what he does yeah i i'm actually ryan when you said that uh that it felt like a dreamlike state when you're watching this movie. I'm reminded of, I saw something, I didn't click on this stupid clickbait title because I have no fucking interest in it, but it was <laughs> like Christopher Nolan said that he revolutionized screenplay writing with Oppenheimer. And I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking read that, but it was some shit about Christopher Nolan. time again? Like, oh my God. <laughs> some shit about him. No being one's like, ever done that. I wrote it in the first person and that's wildly different than anything else. And I was like, oh, fucking bullshit. I'm sure plenty of people have written something in first person. This clickbait article, some bullshit I'm not going to read, but it, it made me think but more about you. like, I mean, <laughs> I read like two lines and didn't click into the thing. So I guess they got me. Good thing they included that quote I got out of there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I'm reminded of it. Thinking about this movie, um, hearing only somebody's thoughts and experiencing what essentially is like only the sounds that they could hear in moments is the closest thing I can think of to a movie that is first person while still being third person shot, like fixated on this character. And I think that that is an interesting thing to draw you in um, beyond going, you know, hardcore Henry on some bullshit. Uh, th this is like <laughs> the kind of experience I would want to have in film that connects me to a character when there's not explicitly a lot of dialogue between characters that let you hover around them and get to know each of the characters. Like, um, I don't even remember who's the, who's the boy that gets stationed with uh, Jost. Yeah, Jost. 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 And, um, yeah, Jost, like, you really have no idea who Jost is, and you don't even get too much of a dialogue with Jost to know whether or not he can be trusted beyond sort of what his eyes see. And it seems like at any point in time, the camera is really trying to pull you more into Fontaine's perspective, and everything about the film is working to bring you into that world and not so much make you a spectator of it. Like, I held my breath when Fontaine held his breath. I was like just enamored with some of the things he was enamored with trying to like hide and listen and really perking up my ears for it. it this movie did a good job of tricking me. And in that way, I feel like it, it is perfectly embodied by being that dreamlight state where you're in third person. Um, so that's kind of a, I don't know, you put words to the thing. I didn't know how to put words to. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think, you know, kind of talking through Ryan, you mentioned like there's not, you know, big scenes that you go back to like, oh, remember when this happened? I, I feel like there are, but it's um, the movie holds its tension so tautly throughout the entire thing that there aren't necessarily a lot of highs and lows. I think it's it's really impressive how it holds such a high level of tension the entire time throughout the film. And, and you know, you have all these scenes that are really fascinating him carving pieces out of his door, trying to make rope, trying to build hooks uh talking to other prisoners to see if they might be interested in trying to escape and trying to escape with him without knowing if they would actually be interested or might turn him in to the guards and um you know potentially thinking that some prisoners might be plants from from the guards that uh, you could uh just be there to try to learn about plots like this and i think just every moment is so well done and i think the fact that you think back on it and you're like, oh, there aren't like big time moments that really stick out to me. I think that's actually to the film's credit because everything 
feels like has that same level of impact through throughout the movie. Yeah, I think so. I agree. And that the way the tension is held, I actually did want to kind of talk about that from the from the open of the film. In a prison, in this type of prison, where it starts off telling you so many people died in the prison, and we know the history uh, as well of, of just the brutality of these situations, that at any moment, he could be executed. But like John was saying, well, we know we have an hour and a half left. Like He's not going to get executed <laughs> right away. Yeah. But it does set us up with this. Uh, he, he attempts to escape out of the car. Uh, I guess actually one scene where we don't see what he sees. I actually like that where it's just like we're in the car and we just hear like the chasing and shouting and all that yeah. stuff. And then we, we know like he's brought back and he didn't get it. Um, but real, they beat real quick, him. Brisson loves showing like before the action and after the action and not showing you the not, thing yeah. you want to see and giving you like the sound of what's going on, but not allowing you to see it. And that's his way of trying to kind of make the moment more real for the audience because they're imagining what's happening in their heads. And that's going to be more powerful necessarily than what he can put on screen and, and show them. So there's a lot of moments in his movies like that where you see what happens before or after some big violent thing, but you don't actually see the thing and you might hear the thing or you might see the impact of the thing, um, which I think is a pretty interesting approach. It's just, it's very different. It's not like necessarily what you think you want out of a movie, but it has a much different impact and, and I think it works pretty well. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I like that. Hitchcock also does say that he likes to do that kind of thing to let your mind run with it. Mm-hmm. And this movie does a lot, right? Where there's a ton of stuff that's kind of out there where you, just as him, have to be like, what's actually happening? What happened to that guy? Where did he go? Like, what is that sound? What, right? Like, there's a lot of that because so many things are kind of just out of your frame that you have to think, okay, what's going on? Um, but it's a, he gets beat to a, a pulp, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And we see him, if it's so, so much so he has to be carried into the cell, right? Like, they pretty much carry him in the cell and, like, dump him there uh so we do have that like and they move him a couple times like he changes cells seemingly for no reason right Um, i think it's like a holding tank and a more permanent cell type of situation but who knows and like you know it's like they come and grab him for the first time to dump his shit bucket and it's like you're not exactly clear like where is he going why why is he having to take these things right like each time so there's that tension but there is that in the back of your mind like well i know he's not gonna die but i'm like but he could be like really seriously injured or you know these other characters could be gone yeah at any second like everything like that so the tension does stay there which is true of that situation right you would every day you would wake up uncertain of what's going to happen so i think that yeah that tension is there and i i like that and so it's like as a movie it's very memorable from a movie aspect of how it gets all those things done it's just tough for me i'm trying to put my head into like regular joe movie watcher who has like never watched a movie before comes in and watches this and then goes afterwards and watches fast 10 like which one which one he's gonna later be like oh my god movies blew my mind and he's probably not really gonna talk about this but then if he watches like a thousand other movies and comes back he's gonna be like shit i remember this wow it does yeah. some really great things for what it is right i i was wondering too at like i do think in 1956 this probably would have been more like that i think because i'm thinking of the movies coming out and they're, they're you know it's also like the end of the westerns 
right? So we've had this like over the top. There isn't really a point. It's just gun slinging, gun shooting, or whatever, and that's <laughs> yeah. already kind of run its course by this time. So it's like all of the like big action, but also like plays where we couldn't really, you know, we couldn't figure out exactly how to make it into a movie. Like that's kind of reaching its tail end. And then you also have the like <laughs> the other flip side of coming out of theater and then coming out of silent movies in the fifties. You still had this like actors that just emote for the back row yep. i like to say like i think this is james dean's done in 50s like giants 56 i think so mm-hmm. it's kind of like the end of like james dean if you think of that but like just that like over the top like so over the top too much so for a movie yeah like that's it's also like, like method acting limit. is coming up at the time like brando is is you know doing stuff and but yeah it's not it's still mostly that acting for the back row type of thing. And Brisson yeah. is just so much the opposite of yeah, that. Absolutely. Absolutely the opposite. Right. And, and I wouldn't even say it isn't that the characters don't show anything. It really does feel like they show I don't know, exactly what it would be realistically. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, we, you know, we don't have to see like a tears come down their face yeah. so that they're sad or see them like, Oh, in pain and put their hands up to the sky or whatever. It's just sort of like, yeah, we know that guy's like fucking terrified. <laughs> we yeah. just know the situation and you can, you know, kind of sense what you sense in a person realistically. Yeah. And he creates emotion through context, right? Not through performance and through the staging of the shot and all these other methods that um, I think it just works in such an interesting way that you're not expecting, you know, and the emotion can kind of sneak up on you and be like, oh God, like I, I didn't even realize that this scene was so emotional and it kind of snuck up on me. Yeah. Seeing like the, who's the guy across the way who, um, died so that he could fly. I don't know. Orsini. The, yeah. Orsini. Yeah. <laughs> um, seeing their relationship kind of grow and Orsini, they have that whole kind of exchange about who the bravest man is. And I don't know, there's something so sweet about it. And so matter of fact, and it reminds me of those, you know, I was thinking about or talking about, you know, stripping out some of the theatrics about it. Um, the Great Escape is like six years after this movie, I think. Uh, or is it seven? Uh, yeah, 62, 63, somewhere in there. Yeah. And it's that one's like grandstanding Steve McQueen and all of these heroics. And like it's the bombastic escape compared to this a man escaped. And um, just thinking about those things where somebody locked up in prison I, I don't think that past a certain point, they would really try to stick their neck out that much. Like they would try to do it in more subtle ways, like Brisson is showing in this and in these kind of very, even the taps on the wall, the softest taps, it's like so baby quiet. taps. Yeah. And, and like, you have to really be listening for any of those things. And that to me is that you're hiding, you're actively imprisoned and you're not like, I'm going to punch a wall because I'm fucking mad about it. Like you're past that point. Fontaine is past that point. Um, when you're captured, you're, you know, subdued by whoever your captors are. And you really got to like mute a lot of your activity and to watch these exchanges, they're washing hands and they're, you know, I was getting, I won't lie. I was getting arrested development flashes every so <laughs> often where they're like, no talking, <laughs> it's like, yeah. no touching. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's just those moments where they're really trying to be so careful about everything that they do that at times I was like, they're really putting a risk in. Like there would be a moment where a character is making eye contact for longer than they probably should be. And I was like, fuck, this is such a risk. And the fact that I became heightened in that sense, and was so aware of it speaks to kind of that. Yeah. That tautness. I think of, um, 
uh, in terms of the tension, I think of like a can on a string and how like the tighter you pull that, the less the vi- vibrations and frequency is going to be noticeable, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. And like Brisson just takes that whole string and amplifies it for you. And you're like, oh, this is what I get to experience. Like these small moments that are really powerful and we don't need the sine waves that are like, you know, a roller coasters ride of loops and downs and ups and whatever. Um, it's a good analogy. Yeah. So I, yeah. I was, I was just, yeah, I, I fucking loved that part of it. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, Ryan, in terms of like, is it memorable or not? Is the Fast X crew going to be like, oh shit, it was so dope when they fucking choked out that Nazi off screen (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Those, I don't think those moments are as memorable as like, you don't have big bombastic moments to remember because you remember how it made you feel. It is the entire feeling of the movie was holding my breath. Whereas in Fast X, a majority of that movie was me being bored. And then the other parts were the explosions. <laughs> and so it, it comes down to, yeah, like, do you want that burger that you only remember because it made your gut feel fucked up after? Or do you want like that really, really prime cut of some kind of meat or whatever it is? I'm vegan. I haven't eaten meat in a long fucking time. So, you know, the, I'm losing the analogy now. But you get what I'm saying. It's like a Michelin star meal. And it's this small cut of something that costs like, like a fillet where like every bite tastes the exact same, but it's very good throughout. Yeah, you don't have chunks of fat. It's like two hundred dollars like, for yeah. like an eight ounce something. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I mean, it was fucking good, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and I I think that's the end of the yes, exactly that right because I think that someone would go to a Michelin star place and then be like wow getting you do get like a thousand they always show the picture and it's like the one tiny thing and that's <laughs> i know that's like that's the analogy i'm going to go for i understand you get like a thousand of those and it's a ridiculous experience but you get that one thing and then you try it and you're like okay yeah this did like give me the impression of a steak but it isn't a steak it's this little i don't really understand and but it's so fleeting in a way and you have to have like understood cooking to get to that level of appreciation for a meal like that yeah. Um, you know, in the same way that I'm like to to my kids, you know, when I when I take them out, they don't appreciate any of the shit that they eat because they just want like macaroni and cheese from the box. I actually went to a <laughs> restaurant the other day and it said on there it was like they had their macaroni and cheese that they made from like their it's like egg noodles, their from cheese scratch, farm, yeah, raised. from scratch, like all this stuff or whatever. And then it was like on the under and this was on the kids menu. It was like you can have our homemade mac and cheese and it's like we also can just make it from the box and they could actually order that and i'm like that place was that good making their own stuff and they're like but we get it you know some of you just want fucking somewhere crying in a corner (laughs) (laughs) that's really funny um i think it's interesting to talk about spirituality in brisson's films like it's less apparent in a man escaped but um you know he made diary of a country priest and alhazar balthazar mouchette some of his movies are, are more overtly so and there's typically a moment of salvation in his films and like some sort of struggle that a, a character is going through and as his career progresses it's he seems to get more like nihilistic to me like larjan is you know it's it's uh, some of his movies this the salvation experience is death some of them is prison and it's like okay it's just getting kind of dark as as we go through his filmography here it's actually escaping um, but you know, the, the t- full title of the movie is a man escaped or the wind blows where it wishes. And it's from a verse in John three that one of the characters references in the movie 
It says, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I'm not sure exactly what that means in the context of the title. Like, I don't know if that means, you know, the salvation of Fontaine being, um, you know, escaping the prison at the end. The wind blows where it wishes seems almost nihilistic to me. Or is it like, you know, you can't necessarily control what's going on. There's also a moment in the movie where um, the pastor character tells Fontaine, hey, you know, pray and God will save you. And Fontaine says he'll save us if we let him. And, you know, kind of a God helps those who helps themselves type of a, a thing. And, and Fontaine is so focused on the work at hand and it actually saving himself. And, the, you know, the pastor is praying for his salvation, but is damned. And Fontaine is able to escape kind of through his own power of will. So I, I always think it's interesting to look at Brisson's films in the context of spirituality and biblical stuff, because he's clearly very interested and fascinated by it. But I don't really know what his take is and like if he was Christian or how Christian he was and like what that means in his art. But like it's always present in his films. And I'm not necessarily sure kind of how that ties into a man escape, but it's there. And like he's, you know, the music that he's using is like, you know, uh, classical choral church music that is kind of coming in at notes when there's hope and when, you know, he's escaping and, and things like that. So um curious to, if either of you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, key to say that that music is like free time. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> he doesn't use it much. Um, he does not use it He much. uses very music sparingly. very sparingly, but when he uses it, it's usually pretty powerful. Um, yeah, but, it was yeah. like 20 minutes in. I, I looked down, I was like 27 minutes in the first time some music hit and I was like, okay, wh- why? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's, I haven't heard it for almost 30 minutes. Why suddenly do we have music? Like what's important here? Um, I do think there's a couple things I want. Yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about this and that quote specifically. I feel like there's multiple directions to take it. Um, but to, to kind of what you're talking about from a from the salvation standpoint with that conversation, it made me think of it as a joke that I always like to tell. I don't remember where I heard it, but that the, the person is like in a hurricane and they don't leave. They like pray to uh-huh. God be saved. Then the water just keeps going up and people keep coming by and they just keep praying and then they end up. Yeah, they're like, God's going to save me. And they, they're like, okay, yeah. I'll just leave you here. Yeah. And he ends up in front of God and he's like, man, I sent boats and helicopters. Like, what, you know? <laughs> and and this, I did think that that was the way the character was thinking of like, yeah, I could, I can get out of here, but only if I get out of here, right? I'm not going to sit here and pray and hope and whatever. Like, I'm going to do the work to get out and to move forward. And then you could interpret that the wind blows of like, you in the same way it's like you have to be born again like you have to choose you have to but it it's work not yeah. just mm-hmm. a thought not just something that happens to you um and that's the case here of where he's and, and people constantly doubt him and tell him it's not you know now he's they sometimes they think he's gonna do and then they change their minds and they doubt him and like he never really seems to doubt himself he really is on this like yeah i'm going to escape like he just and he's working at it every step and he has all these little plans and all these little thoughts and he's like that's where he's going yeah i love how um just speaking about the people that turn to doubting him at some point at one point they're like somebody's like hey everybody thinks you're fucking drawing it out and i thought that that was really funny because <laughs> it was just like dude this is a fucking escape plan with one shot only fuck you like, <laughs> everybody thinks you're full of shit bro yeah. <laughs> sure to get off the pot <laughs> 
you know Jared from 103? He says he won't do it. I <laughs> 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 bet you won't. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I kind of interpreted it in a similar way where it is one of those like, you know, what will be will be, but also you have to make it yourself. You have to help. You have to put some of your actual willpower into trying to make it happen. There's other pieces of like, you know, kismet, uh, sort of just like fate and how um, other people get put in the right cell near him or people change kind of where they want to put their faith in. That is where like the wind blows where it will sort of thing is like it, it's whatever you fill your bucket up with is what you fill your bucket up with, whether it's shit or whether it's the shards of a lantern that you've shattered, <laughs> you know, that's exactly what you're going to be putting in. And that's what you're going to be uh, kind of carrying through uh, in the line. Um, so I felt like from a spirituality standpoint, I didn't really see it being super nihilistic. Like it wasn't one of those like, Hey, it doesn't matter what you do. Cause it's always going to end up some way. Um, I saw it way more of like, well, everybody is going to kind of do their own thing and whatever you end up doing, as long as you like put as much effort into it, that's going to be what your destiny is. Like if he dies trying to escape, then he was the man who escaped effectively. Like right, he escaped yeah. one way or another, mm -hmm. um, to what end we don't know. And in this instance, it's like, Hey, he actually succeeded because he continued to try in the face of like random odds and things thrown his way. Like, he said at a period of time that like it ne he needed more than one man, even though it's a man that es escaped, he needed one man to fall before. So he would know how exactly to go through with his escape plan. If he had tried it prior, prior to his other friend, what was his name? Osri Orsini Orsini, the, uh, the John the Baptist of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> prior to, to Orsini trying, if he had tried, he would have failed and died and Orsini needed to die so that he could make that jump over. There was a sacrifice required. And even then Jost like coming in and helping him, it, it made the whole process easier and it required him to put trust in the fact that it wasn't just a one man operation too. And that's faith. That's like spirituality to it too. Mm -hmm. How is he going to know whether this kid is worth it or not and can help him or not, or he would snitch. There's that leap that he takes where he's like, I guess I have to tell him because otherwise I have to kill him. Like those are my two methods. And I, I really don't want to have to kill somebody, <laughs> especially not this kid. Who's like, what was he like 17 or something? 16. Or, I yeah, think, yeah. 16. Yeah. So it's just like, damn, like that's, yeah, that's a certain point. What's going to happen is going to happen. The wind blows where it will. And is that kid German or not? Like in heart, who knows? Yeah. The introduction of that character, I think, is really interesting, too, because you're, you're kind of at a point in the movie where he has to make a decision. Is he going to escape or not? Like he's gotten his official death sentence and he's even having other prisoners come up to him and be like, dude, like we're hearing rumors that they're going to off you any day now. You if you're going to go, you got to fucking go. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he gets a roommate and the guy shows up wearing the pants of a French uh, resistance person and a German army jacket. And he's like, oh, fuck, like what? What the hell is this kid? Like, he, you know, is he German? Is he French? Is he a spy? Did they plan him here to try to figure out if I'm going to escape? Like what's going on? And um, it adds this new different kind of tension to to the movie. And um, I think it it makes the escape sequence even more. Um, it just kind of turns it up a little bit other, other than where it would be if he was just there by himself. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a, a really interesting twist at the end of the film. Yeah. And I would say you never really figure out if he is, I mean, I guess he doesn't, well, they escape and he never rats he, on him. So you, you know, yeah, 
seemingly. Lisa's a snitch. Seems weird they would have gone through <laughs> that whole thing just for him to be like, ha, I'm German, I'm going to turn you back in now. Here's how he got out, yeah. yeah. Um, the, so the end of the movie, I think thinking through that quote of the wind goes and kind of what the, the point of that full quote, we don't know how our character, like we don't see how he got captured or anything. He's mm-hmm. arrested when we start the movie. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I love how it, they just like, they just land more or less, hug each other, right? And they just like quickly walk off. And that's like, walk it. it's just the like, smoke, hey, we're out. And, and then they over. just walk yep. off. And that's the end of the movie. And to, to that same end, we don't know are they going to get recaptured or killed being captured or really escape or where are they going? Are they going to stay in France? Like, we have no clue. And I think this is the same, you know, sort of feeling of the, there are people who decided to, you know, to stay and just live with being in the prison and hope and the people that then pushed and did whatever and quote escape, but we're not sure who lives and who dies anyway, like who doesn't act with a good faith and sort of the like, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell? Is it real? Is it different? Like, we really don't know at the end of the movie at all. And I think that's the same thing. The quote is just like, you have to have faith to be born again. Like, you don't know where your spirit came from. You don't know where your spirit is going. You can make choices. You can choose, you know, where you want to go with it. But at the end, the spirit goes where the spirit goes. That's not, that part's not exactly in your control Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't know, but you can go down that path. Yeah, that's interesting. I was actually thinking um, in that in that same thing, Ryan. I was thinking of uh, you know the the priest who stays behind, the pastor and the father. They're both there. Um, the pastor gets the the note that has the instructions on how to escape. Basically, Fontaine just leaves it with him. Um, and there's that whole option of thinking about how you'll leave and what you'll leave with. And for some reason, in my head, that conjured a hidden life. Um, the Terrence Malick oh, film, yeah. just because you think about how many people will go to bat for their religion or their spiritual faith and like what they are trying to do in the face of oppression. Like if that priest is killed by Nazis, that priest is killed by Nazis and nobody saw it and nobody really gives a shit. Like in, in my cynical and nihilistic opinion, it means nothing because you're just another body and it doesn't mm. matter if you're a religious person or not. But if you're in like a town square and people can see you and you become a martyr, then that's a totally different thing. Just like the man who escaped is the symbol of hope. Basically, he has shown that there are flaws in this prison system and has basically made a mockery of the Nazi regime being like, hey, you thought that you're fucking the best. Well, really, you're just like two dudes, one monitoring some stairs and one riding a fucking bike forever because your budget cuts or some shit um, <laughs> have, have put you on that path. And in that way, it like could inspire the rest of the prison to do things. Who knows what that would actually be? But that's where like the faith picks up is hopefully by my decisions being made, I've made some kind of a difference, not just for myself, but for the other people that I've left behind. They now see this is possible and that like you can critically think about this and get out of this and you don't have to be oppressed by it or wait for your judgment call and your firing squad to, to terminate you. And um, that, that was just kind of like what triggered a hidden life for me was the whole point of that movie was a man making a stance where he might never be seen for making that stance. And like, what's the point of it? And the point of it is that faith, like mm. trying to get out of it and, and what's going to happen. 
Um, I feel like I've contradicted myself already by saying this, <laughs> but hey, it's it's a complex thing to to ruminate on. So yeah, and you even see throughout the movie his effect on other prisoners, and some prisoners are like, "Yeah, hey, you're full of shit. You're never gonna do it." Some people are kind of indifferent, but then you have like his neighbor in the cell next door who is literally trying to hang himself when Fontaine knocks on the wall, mm-hmm. and that just. The idea that there's someone there who wants to hear from him is enough to get him to not kill himself and to try to move forward. And as he then talks to Fontaine and learns about his escape plan, he becomes more hopeful and inspired and, you know, eventually gives him one of his blankets to use as rope. And, you know, that guy's going to die. He's old. He's like, you know, I would come with you, but I'm not, I can't, you know, I'm not physically fit to like climb on ropes over buildings and stuff, you know, but he has a more... Um, you know, a more hopeful, palatable last days, weeks of his life than he he otherwise would have. And he has something to kind of care about and, and hope for there. Yeah. And there's a whole turn, we, too, where he's like discouraging him. He's like, you're making too much noise and you're doing all this stuff. Yeah. You, so you want to help stop. me stop yeah. carving and making all that noise yeah, and get yeah. us all in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Do we know exactly when this takes place? Uh, 1943. 40, 43. Okay. So... Yeah, I was gonna say maybe they're gonna be liberated the next day. You don't really know. Well, no, Sorry, not 1943. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is interesting. I went to the Auschwitz exhibit about a month ago, and some of the things that stuck with me specifically was listening to interviews where they said if you you needed to make a friend and you mm-hmm. needed to have something to do, something to believe in, you know, something to keep you busy, or you would just give up. You would just mm-hmm. give up hope. And here he absolutely has that, like, I'm going to escape, and he sticks to it. And we see the people around it who have lost the hope or lost it, and they just do give up, and that's it. Like, they're gone. They're, you know, a little bit of humanity is gone. Similarly, there was a lot of, of trying to keep their religion up and how much the Nazis tried to not let them, to confiscate Bibles or, or, uh, or you know, crosses or whatever. Because it wasn't, you know, in, here obviously in France. It, it's not just Jewish people in this prison, specifically, mm-hmm. not at all. Um, but similarly, in any of the Nazi camps, they would take that kind of stuff, and that was something where they would meet in secret. And we do see a Bible here where it's like that guy has the Bible and he's hiding it, right, of that. And they're talking about their faith, but they can't say that in front of the guards. They can't say that. But that is some of the things that, and, and I understand Brisson was a prisoner. He must have he also was, yeah. seen those same things. Yeah, like he can think back and be like, well, what kept me going? Why did I survive like i'm i'm i wonder how much he's also trying to think that through in this movie yeah yeah i'm sure it's a very personal experience for him making this film because he was a nazi prisoner for a while i don't know the exact circumstances around his imprisonment or how long he was imprisoned but i know that he he had that experience and that's probably why he was so inspired by the the story when he when he read it and decided to convert it to the screen it does feel like that, you know, if you were wanting to make a movie about something you went through that was terrible, I don't think you would want to make an exciting. Yeah. True. You know, they yeah. go over. The, yeah. That's, I you think you would want to make this more slow, introspective, realistic take on what you saw. Yeah, I think of I think of Come and See as another example of that. Right, oh, like, yeah. you're not making a fucking exciting war movie. This is actively anti-war trauma that you're splaying across the screen, um, which has its own different stylings to get you that same kind of character empathy. Um, yeah, I 
I don't know, like the, the, the more that I think about it, it's like, when did, when did America get, has America always just had a hard on for war movies? Yes. Or did we have, <laughs> I thought we had like at some point, some kind of like, well, maybe during the sixties during Vietnam, I'm sure there's a lot of anti-war that, that went on, but like you get like apocalypse now and those kind of yeah. movies that come through, but I mean, there have been, uh, you know, some big anti-war movies, but like they get misinterpreted as war movies. Yeah. You, yeah, know? you yeah. get the dorm room poster stuff <laughs> going uh, and, and then you're there. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but yeah, no, like I, I think as far as movie making in America, there was movies about previous American war. <laughs> I think that it's always been to embed those myths, like to, to get them more, you know, let's get John Wayne in here and have him do the Alamo. And uh, let's get these people in here and show you how great our wars were. And then there's some kind of shift to like, you love explosions, don't you? Well, like here's explosions um, with the exception of like the big anti-war films, all the other ones, like we, we, we haven't talked about it on the podcast, I feel like, but we, we've done, or maybe we talked about Jarhead, but we didn't talk about Jarhead three and four, two and three we, and four. We talked about them high level, didn't we? Or did we, we not? We've referenced the Jarhead sequels on this podcast. <laughs> oh my but God. We, but we they, haven't ever talked about Jarhead. They just, the podcast, descend, they just descend. They just descend into madness yeah, and people yelling, want some, get some, much like Robert Downey Jr. and <laughs> yeah. Thunder and just gunshots everywhere. And like, that's not a director or a creative behind that has not engaged in war. Like they just don't fucking understand. <laughs> so yeah, and Jarhead came out during like the Bush years and the Iraq war. And like, that was a time when there was a, a decent amount of anti-war appetite in America, but still the majority of war movies coming out over that period were yay. Go USA. We're going to go police the world and be awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, this, we're on a little bit of a tangent here, but that's the reason why whenever <laughs> I watch action films from like the 80s, when a bunch of people were being blown up or killed, like a Paul Verhoeven film, which Paul Verhoeven is doing it tongue in cheek anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh man, those people had families. Like the whole time that I'm watching it, that's all that I'm thinking about. Yeah. It makes it way darker, but it's also like keeps me in check from being like, yeah, go hero. Do it, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kill <laughs> all of those men. <laughs> like, uh, at, uh, at some point we should do Team America on this podcast. They're about to do yeah, a re-release of it. I was thinking about oh, it. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, I saw some Blu-ray that's coming out that's like some anniversary thing for it. I okay. Think it's time, you know? <laughs> and and Fourth of July is right around the corner. Come on. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think with with Brisson also, I, I want to briefly touch on his legacy and, and, you know, kind of how he influenced cinema going forward. And I think, um, so Paul Schrader is going to be the clearest example. You know, like he is a, a guy who absolutely fell in love with Brisson's films and like that shaped him as an artist. And, um, you know, I talked about Schrader, um, a little bit a couple weeks ago, um, about, um, you know, some of his recent films, first reformed card counter and, um, master Gardner. master Gardner. And, you know, a lot of his work is very shaped by what Brisson does. You know, he makes these movies about an, a lonely man sitting in a room, writing down his thoughts, a Man Escapes doesn't have as much writing in it, but there is a lot of narration. And Brisson uses this technique called doubling, where like you'll see a character writing something down, and then you'll see him do that thing, or you'll see him do it, and you'll hear him doing the voiceover, or sometimes all three of those things combined. And it it's almost like a it's not redundant; like it it almost serves to um, like the repetition almost kind of brings you in to what's happening even more than if you're just seeing that thing one time. Um, but, uh, you know, like Brisson, it's like a lot of that what he did led to modern day, like slow cinema where um, you have like, you know, Apichatpong, where it's ethical. You have Andre Tarkovsky, you know, directors that do 
movies that are more introspective and slow and spiritual in what they're trying to do rather than fast action paced stuff. And, uh, you know, Brisson isn't the only person who was making movies like that around this time. Like Ozu was doing some similar things in Japan, but his style is so distinctive and, and unique. And, and, you know, you can kind of see that in some modern cinema that has, has kind of persevered and made it through. Um, but I, I think it's just Schrader in particular. I think it's really cool to see him taking so much from Brisson, but also putting so much of himself into his work and making something that is building on what he did, but it's very different. And, and Schrader doesn't believe in the like actors as models who don't emote type of thing. Like he does typically have his actors be fairly reserved, but he's not telling them to just stand there and say the lines and like remove everything there. So like there, there are differences in their styles and what they do, but um, like seeing how much Schrader loved Brisson is what made me want to go check out Brisson. And so, um, you know, I think it's cool. Like if you see a modern filmmaker that you like and you hear about influences they have, it's cool to go check out directors that they liked and, and see, you know, kind of how their styles built into what you see in like today. Yeah. In a similar manner, like, um, obviously on the podcast, we joke about it a lot. We talk about it a lot. The fact that I watched a shit ton of schlock, I watch bad movies <laughs> all the time. Part of bad movies don't intend to be bad movies. Most of the time, they just intend to be something that's either copying from another director or that's, you know, it's, it's poor technique that's trying to be workshopped and honed. And I think when I think about Brisson and I think about this kind of mastery of what's outside of the frame, a movie that nobody in their mind would think is something that comes up is something that comes up for me. And that's a wicked world. That's the terrible Barry J. Gillis film that I showed you. It's like a oh, shot the one on you VHS. like fast forwarded through I and fast showed me like 20 minutes, to show you like <laughs> yeah. 20 minutes just to give you an exposure to it because the sound of that was movie, too much. Yeah. The sound of that movie is done so poorly. The layering's done so poorly that it can be taken as the high and the low of a Brissonian technique, like where it can be taken uh. wrong. And that's kind of the point of like bad film for me for watching like movies where somebody tried one, I appreciate that somebody put the effort in to try to make this movie, but two, I can see where they went wrong and seeing something like a man escaped, uh, or even Lorjean compared to something like a wicked world or Barry J. Gillis's other movie things, which are both 80 yard. You see where the sound went wrong. You see where all the dubbing went wrong and it's in like when you're trying to do paints for the first time, I think about it too. When you're adding sound elements, when you're adding any element to your film, it's like adding multiple colors to the same palette where well, you eventually end up with black. If you had too many of the same color over one spot, same thing for sound, same thing for like Barry J. Gillis. He just overwhelms the senses in a way that he doesn't think that he's doing, but everybody who watches that movie knows it. <laughs> and it's kind of fascinating. That's kind of why I dip into that world is because when I come back to art house or I come to like French cinema or I come to these different auteurs. Like, Holy shit. That. This sound design is actually where, really good. Where there's, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm not just trying to get like a, a uppers and downers, but uh, <laughs> it, it ends up being that case where I can exactly see and pinpoint these moments and be like, Oh, it should have been that. And part of it is I'm learning like one, what I like I'm learning two technique because I want to eventually apply some of it or at least be able to engage with it a little bit more. Uh, and then three, it's just like, for me, it's a fun experiment. It is fun to see these highs and lows together and mix them and try to amplify it. Like talking about what fires off in my brain, like whether it's a hidden life or whether it's wicked world for this movie, it's kind of fascinating. My brain is, is blending these things and telling me, Hey, here's why you might enjoy this more. Here's what's going on with this. Here's what you recognize here. And 
I feel like that's beyond the frames as well. And that's something that like, um, whether it's Brisson that intended it or not, it's what's happening to me and how I experience cinema and it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I was saying about wishing that students, you know, or these kind of movie makers that are like, that's me. I'm going to be a movie maker in my Mm -hmm. black tank top. If they, (laughs) if they tried to make this movie, just start off with this. And like, then you can work in the shit you want to do. Like, see if you can make something this simple and and get it vaguely correct. Cause you're right. So many times it, and it's two different ways with bad movies. Either they don't even understand how the fuck, what they're working with is. Yeah. The sound, the camera, like everything is a disaster Mm -hmm. or it's the other way around. I think the room is that, you know, the bad movie, the reason the room is tolerable to watch as a bad movie is that actually all the other shit is fine. All the other stuff we talked about, like, it's fine. It's everything else about that movie that's wrong. And it stands <laughs> out because you don't, you're not distracted by horrible sound or there's some weird set stuff. But it's not, it's like, you have to actually yeah. stop and look into it to see it to that depth. And you're so distracted by just, like, the horrible lack of a it's, story or acting. Like, yeah. the movie part of it's fine-ish. It's because it's that that age old adage of like you need to know the rules in order to break them. And Tommy was yeah. paid enough people who knew the rules to make the movie. And but then, then the he party just held broke close. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the party right, wouldn't let them I, touch. It's disaster. I have to disagree with you that there's anything good about the room, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, mean the same technical the same way of uh, at times. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> Um, but I think what you're saying about like the simplicity of a man escaped, it's simple in concept. Mm -hmm. It is very complicated in execution, I think, because like it's, it's so meticulously planned out and like exactly how to frame each shot, what to show, what to, to put off screen, what sounds to, to bring in, to make you aware of the environment, like how to, to, to do the sound design, what sounds to amplify, what sounds to tone down and how to keep that tension at an all time high that like, it's a simple concept, but in order to make that work really well, like it does in a man escaped, you have to do all of the traditional filmmaking techniques so fucking well to get it to work. Right. And because Brisson is so good at what he does, he's able to take a straightforward concept. Man escapes prison without really any backstory or anything else to make you care about the characters and make it this fascinating, intense piece of filmmaking that you can't look away from. And I think that I could say that any, you know, anyone, and this is part of what you're talking about. You're talking about American cinema, talking about yeah. French cinema. This time period is where, and I think this, this just is the way the difference is, right? Americans really did view this medium as money-making. Yes. All up to this time, there starts to be this movement which comes out of French right cinema of using this as an artistic palette more so than just the money making. But even today, even the things we talk about that are somewhat artistic coming out of America make a lot of money. And the French movies still tend to be focused much smaller without this goal of like, I need everyone in the world to see it. Yep. You know, the where the way an American movie is. And I, and I think that's where I'm like, anyone that I would say is a good movie maker in America could make, something this simple so to speak of Mm. like we're not you can't go out don't go outside no kids no animals like no music like everything just take all that out and you give me a good story in one location more or less and let's see if you can actually with no actors with no or like let's see if what Uh you can do and i think i would be like yeah well whatever about oppenheimer i think nolan could do that 
right? He could make sure. something that was that simple. Mm. But I actually think where Tommy was so would not. It would still feel alien because he doesn't yes. actually uh, he have anything going actually on. Actually, make something alien with the, uh, that exact thing that you described. There <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> was a dog. <laughs> it was in a flower shop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was that simple. Just go and buy flowers, and it's fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think about uh, as Dixon was talking about how it takes this technical mastery. That technical mastery can also be completely fucked in post, as we've seen with M. <laughs> Because of sure. M's legacy, where Hollywood was like, the fuck is this? We need to add sounds because Fritz Lang obviously forgot them. Mm. <laughs> and then it just completely yeah. undercuts the actual product of what you're trying to carve and meticulously make. Um, it's kind of fascinating how uh, I know a lot of friends who are kind of in the film industry and they wince whenever you're like, we'll fix it in post. But you can also fuck it in post. Like, you can fuck it so hard in post. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Well, and Brisson <laughs> was real anal about his movies and very, like, in charge of everything that was going on. And, like, he, you know, made sure he had full creative control. He was like, this is my piece of art. It's not yours. You got to do what I want you to do. It's like he didn't really view it as a collaborative process. And, I think there are benefits to that. And you see this very distinctive, um, you know, ideology in, in filmmaking that he has and his techniques are so fascinating. But also, you, you know, you probably lose something there, too, where you're not, you know, kind of taking the suggestions of the artists that you're working with and, and bringing those into your film. You do run a risk of overindulgence, which uh, Larjant kind of has in his love of doors. Um, yeah. Ryan, uh, if you watch more of Brisson's work, he, he comes to love doors a lot. Apparently just the sound they make, he'll keep the extra four frames of somebody like closing and opening a door just cause he really likes, he finds them to be portals to other worlds. And that's a rad philosophy to have about doors. We don't think about that that often unless we're like on shrooms or something, but <laughs> they really are portals to another world. <laughs> It's it's also um, his editing technique. It's it's less apparent in a man escaped because there isn't as much door action. But it, <laughs> he does that in a lot of his movies. Pickpocket has that a lot, where like he opens the scene too early and he cuts it too late on on what you would normally expect from a pattern in a movie. Where normally you expect the scene to to begin after the action has started and to end before the action has ended. And Brisson will just start a scene on a closed door and you're sitting there for like three seconds until someone opens it and comes into the room. And then the scene doesn't end until somebody leaves and closes the door and you're just sitting there looking at the closed door for three seconds. And it's it's a technique that is clearly by choice and it just kind of um, it makes you feel weird and it, it kind of you're kind of like, what's going on here? And it, it kind of pulls you into the movie. You're like, what is he doing that I'm not? Because it's so clear that he is in, in control of everything and he knows exactly what he's doing and he's making a high quality film. But you're like, why? Why is this weird? Why does this feel so off? And it just kind of draws you more into his movies. I think a lot of the techniques he employs, um, especially with like the, the turning up of ambient sound really helped to kind of pull you in to the mm. movie and just be more engaged with it. If he loves doors, why did he abuse one for an hour in this movie? <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, he he made a little like doggy door portal to the to the yeah. world outside the cell, I guess. A door yeah. within a door. Yeah. Cool. Um. Well, do you guys have any any other thoughts? Any other scenes that that you want to talk about? I just was amazed that he took his whole ass bed and made a rope out of it, and then he slept on that bed. Still, he like left enough structural framework. Yeah, like removing like, all the wire and and cutting up the mattress, and it, it's yeah. like the the scenes of him just doing stuff it, are really fascinating to me. Just shots of his hands making rope and chipping away at the door, and it's like the 
it almost becomes a ritualistic, like religious process of him preparing to to escape. You know what it made me want? Uh, and this is my fucking uh, modern consumer brain who's binged YouTube and let it rot my mind is <laughs> I would love a how to channel that's Brissonian. Um, because they're like somewhere it's like, here's how to make this dish. And the whole time they fucking talk about how their grandmother grew up in Italy and she knows the best way to make this fucking dish or whatever. I don't fucking care. Just, yeah. I don't fucking care. Show me some quiet fucking scenes of you making this wonderful linguine. Some ASMR <laughs> yeah. of you making that dish. I, want, yeah. I want some of that, but I also want the intensity. Like you're being <laughs> fucking imprisoned by Nazis. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but so, give me that intensity. It, your life depends on making this <laughs> yes, dish. That's right. It's interesting you mentioning that because I'm like, there, that is such the polar opposite. Because the other thing you would have to do is all of that, like, snap editing that they do on YouTube and TikTok of mm -hmm. like, you just go from like thing to thing and you cut out, like, you stir it and then you immediately are to the next thing. Here, it'd have to be like slowly pouring it into the next bowl. You're letting and it happen, scraping every last part of it out into the bowl and like shaking the bowl. And like, yeah, right. Versus yep. like, all right, it's in the bowl. Let's go. Yeah. There would be no. And then 30 minutes later, it looks like this. And they pull yeah. out the net, the like other dish. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm going to have to start this channel cooking with Brisson. <laughs> yeah. It's a three hour wanna, video. It's gonna be, gonna gonna, we're going to open on three seconds of a door. <laughs> enter in and make whatever the fuck I'm making. And you don't talk. There's just voiceover of you. Exactly. As you do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was going to say, we get my entertaining process where like about half of it is like, I added too much flour. Whoops. Now there's not enough flour. Okay. Now there's too much flour. I'm just going back yeah. and forth for like 10 <laughs> minutes trying to get just the right amount of stickiness. Oh God. That would have like five subscribers, but I would be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> watch the shit out of that channel. Yeah. I, the one scene that I was thinking about that we didn't discuss directly is um, where the the guards announced that pencils are illegal oh, and yeah. it it's a moment where like they're clearly trying to take the spirit away from the prisoners like you're saying Ryan about kind of like um the Nazis trying to uh remove religion from their prison camps and, and things like that and there are a lot of prisoners that have pencils and use like the pastor uses it to write down bible verses there are a lot of them use it to send messages to each other um I also really like, as a quick tangent, I love the scenes in the communal washroom area. Like, they don't get mm -hmm. to bathe. All they get is to, like, put their hands in a big sink with everybody for, on like, once for a day a <laughs> to, like, wipe their faces off. And that's when they're kind of exchanging notes or, or passing um, information. That's really the only chance they get to do that each day. Um, but, you know, in, in the course of those conversations, you learn that some people have pencils and unclear how they're getting them, but they're passing them around between each other. The guards announced that these are now illegal. We're going to start searching rooms. If we find a pencil, we're going to kill you on site immediately. And um, the, the pastor asks Fontaine, hey, are you going to turn in your pencil? And he's like, I mean, yeah, it's the, it's the right smart thing to do. Then when the guard comes by the door, push comes to shove, he's like, hey, do you, do you have a pencil? And he just says, no pencil. And the guard walks away. And in voiceover, he says, like, how fucking stupid was that just to like have a little act of defiance, but it's like that little act of defiance is also kind of what's keeping him going. Yeah. And it's taking that risk. Like his whole being in this prison is taking all of these risks that could lead to his death. Right. But he's also, he also knows that his death is coming anyway. And the pencil is like an unnecessary additional risk, but it's in keeping with his character and his kind of defiant nature 
throughout the movie. And um, I thought that scene was was pretty powerful and just kind of, um, I don't know, like a way that to show away how he's coping and getting, a, you know, doesn't mean anything that he gets to keep this pencil. He's not even using it that much, but it's his way of rebelling. And that kind of keeps him sane and keeps him going. Yeah. It's yeah. I do. think he says at another point too, right? Like he's doing it to fight. Like his reason is to fight, yep. fight mm-hmm. everything to fight, uh, which is kind of this, I would say the same as like cool hand Luke of that. Just like uh-huh. not eating, just not eggs. wanting to be in this system. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the memorable part of that movie. It's a little over the top, but the same thing, like just not wanting to be in that system and just re- absolutely refusing to do anything, but try to get against the fight against it. Yeah. Uh, I would also say that the when we get to kind of the final escape and they're having to wait for the train, like use the train's sound mm-hmm. yes. to kind of cover, that was a really great, because that's a good example of that using like the sound, the silence and the tension, you know, like all these, are we going to get spotted? Like all of it kind of encapsulates, I think, into that piece. Yeah, I think the whole, the breakout scene at the end is is so well done. And it's like, so much of the movie is just about can I get out of my cell door? And then, okay, from here, what can I do to get outside? And then once they get on the roof, like you really don't know how it's going to go. It's like he thinks he kind of knows the layout because of what he can see from the ground outside. And he has these ropes and hooks that he thinks he can use to, you know, descend and climb buildings and throw over to another building and shimmy across on this rope. But you don't really know how it's going to play out until they get there. And then like, like he doesn't know the nighttime guard schedule and they get out there and they realize like, oh, there's like a guard patrol that goes right past where we have to go. What are we going to do about it? And you see him have to improvise in the moment and, you know, change his plan as they go. And it adds, you know, again, it just keeps building on this tension that happens. So we're like, you're really not sure if he's going to make it until the final shot of the film. And, you know, even like when there's that train sound that you're talking about, Ryan, they're trying to, uh, you know, cross from one building roof to another by throwing a rope across and and kind of monkey crawling across the rope. And there's a guard on a bicycle just going around the camp that is not very big. And he's passing under there every, you know, 20, 30 seconds on this bike. And so they have to be so fast about throwing it across, like waiting for the train, getting over there without being seen. It's just all, it's all so, so fucking well done. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed seeing that whole, like, it's like a downslope. They're, they're immediately, the moment that he's out of his cell, they're just like, fuck, we got to move, 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 move as fast as you can. Um, move and then wait for an hour until move we and then wait yeah. and then move and then and wait. Old, and yeah. that was the thing that I, I appreciated with that is that it was like, we're waiting until like four o'clock in the morning or until these times. Whereas I feel like in any other movie, it's like, we got to wait for like five minutes. All right, let's move like Tom Cruise and mission impossible. Let's fucking get through whatever this is. Um, time is an illusion and, and night's going <laughs> to last for like five minutes in movie time. But this, it felt like it really elongated how much time they had because it was like the real amount of time they would wait. And he was just pulse pounding the whole time. Like that oh, shit. I don't know if this bicycle guards ever going to give up or what the break time is, or they waited for a changing of guards for that one guard that he takes out and even that was like so tense because that's when you feel he's uh, uh, like he, just crawling down the side of the wall. Fontaine like has no shoes on and he lands in like pure gravel and it makes that crunch sound. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, just not too loud. 
whatever you're doing with those rocks, your feet have to be perfectly distributed. <laughs> and uh, him waiting until we can go around the corner and choke that guard out. Just another thing where like Brisson's putting it in your mind. He doesn't have to show it. Doesn't yeah. have to do. There's not a Steven Seagal scene where he snaps his yeah, neck. Yeah, you, or... you stay behind that corner where Fontaine is waiting, and then he goes around the corner to assumingly choke the guard out. But you don't. You don't. You have no idea what happen. he did. Yeah. yeah, because he thought he was going to kill him with the hooks, but then he realized the hooks might not be reliable enough. Yeah. Who knows what you got to do? Um. So just those moments. It's like, damn. Like you wait here. Even the kid. You and just wait here, and Fontaine will be back. Uh. Really, really awesome. So like uh, just waiting uh, like pins and needles kind of moments. Yeah. The lighting in that scene is really great too. I mean, in, in every scene that Brisson does, the, the lighting is really good. But in that, like where they're waiting on the rooftop and Fontaine is peering over the edge, looking mm -hmm. down at the guard and like the light is shining up just on the upper half of his face. And you can see the fear in his eyes as he is watching the guard pace back and forth. It's all, it's just fucking expertly done. I'll also say that I appreciate, you know, we're, we're, Talking about how great we love this scene. This is a great scene, folks. We love this scene, don't we, folks? Uh, <laughs> it had to happen. It, it triggers every time. Uh, um, but I... Um, it wasn't me. I appreciate it. It wasn't Dixon this time. I really do appreciate in um, a saturated spy... Like, in my mind, having seen so many espionage thrillers, spy movies, all this other shit, it is the only times I've ever seen somebody peek around a corner. One it's been acknowledged in a comedy because they're fucking eyes show and it looks absurd or two. It's never acknowledged. And somehow they're super sneaky all the time. This is the movie where Fontaine does not look around the corner. He uses his fucking ears to listen for when the guard is so many paces away from him. Mm -hmm. And it is probably the most realistic way that you will ever check if somebody's around a corner not this fucking like I'm going to lean out and my one eye showing will never tip off this guard. Kind yeah, of my entire forehead. Being yeah, exposed, yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> like I'll tolerate sometimes if they have like a little mirror or something, they put at the very bottom where their foot is like, that's a contraption. Maybe it works. Fuck it. But uh, yeah, like most movies I've seen, it's, it's literally just, oh, I can peek my whole ass head out of this corner and nobody will ever see me. Uh, and I appreciated that it was not that. I, I really liked that. Uh, Brisson did it well. So. Cool. Uh, John, would you recommend this movie? I'd work. Uh, yeah, I would recommend this movie. I think Ryan's dissected it better than I have in the sense that it can both entertain sort of mainstream audiences and entertain film enthusiasts in different ways. And I have to agree wholeheartedly that it's fucking great. Um, I mean, the, the use of sound design, the entire experience itself is so tense. It does a great tension build. And uh, I gave it fucking five stars on Letterboxd, and I gave that I earnestly. That. We, we just had a conversation this past week about how I don't dish those out that often, but I really felt like it earned it, and it deserved it. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll give you this, Brisson. I really fucking liked it. So, yeah, I would recommend. Nice. Ryan? I have one major complaint. How did uh -oh. they shave? How did they shave? All those men were like clean shaven and we saw every last That's everything he did. I gotta take my stars back. I gotta, <laughs> yeah, uh, you gotta, I gotta knock one star down. There was one no. scene where he got a, a package from that guy on the outside that had a razor in it, but then he moved cells and I don't know if yeah, he, he moves took right that with him to the next uh, cell or not, but everybody was barely clean shaven so yeah. Yeah, it caught know. me one point they were like washing their faces and I was like, do they, because you think he would 
steals some, that, that's what happens right they steal a razor blade or whatever that's yeah the, the, you know the initial problem i'm like do they have a guard that stands there and watches them shave and they do it one at a time? Like, it's my <laughs> mind kind of went there for a little while, but then I was like, oh crap, we're back on the It's a very Ryan <laughs> criticism <laughs> yeah. of this movie. Well, with so much attention to detail, and that's where it's like, we don't no, need to know you, that yeah. because it's not important, right? And again, with like movie We also don't making, see them like, eat. That doesn't mean they're not important. Being... Just move oh, no, we right. do. But it's but no, like we a, do. He, yeah. It's like little, yeah, he gets little like bowls. thrown of in soup. his room. Yeah. 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 You don't seem to actually take shit, but it's applied. Yeah. Because of the cleaning of the shit buckets. Yeah. Um, no, I actually, I agree. It is an excellent movie. This is a really great example of like uh, fundamentally what you need to have a movie without having to really go over the top or anything, right? Right. It's like, you don't need, you don't need to go find amazing actors. You don't need to like, I guess you need a good location. Like that's maybe the one thing that's, this is an actual prison that was Mm -hmm. actually operating at the time. So you do need one, like you need a location that looks good because it's a visual medium. Um, but like, yeah, just the absolute basics that are there. And I do think, yeah, this is something that you can show to someone and be like, oh, you know, old movies, black and white subtitles or whatever. Don't worry. There's not much reading because there's not a whole lot of dialogue. Uh, the black and white actually kind of adds to it and it is engaging even, you know, for what it is. And while it, it is slow, it doesn't feel slow ish because of the tension and because there kind of is like. A constant like okay what's next what's he gonna do about that what does he have to worry about this so I, I do think yeah like anyone can watch it and be like into it and understand it and get it uh and then i think if you have an appreciation like for movies or appreciation for bad movies you can see where like w- what the depth of quality of this actually is and then kind of engross yourself into like wow so much t- attention was spent on such good shit where other movies just blast fucking past it without even thinking about it yeah cool and i would definitely recommend this movie i'm I'm so glad that we finally got to talk about a robert brisson film on the podcast after the all my listened references to it of your no, yeah <laughs> this episode's gonna have six listens um, but those six will benefit they're greatly. all gonna be french people uh but no i mean i i think this movie is is fucking incredible i also think it is a it, it is the correct entry point to brisson like if for the majority of people this is going to be a movie that will give you what you expect out of a movie to some degree, but it will also give you a really good idea of Brisson's style. And, you know, there are so many other fascinating movies that he has made that I really like. I haven't seen them all yet. I've seen basically all the ones that I can get in the U.S., but there are some that, like, aren't available here. I actually ordered some Region B Blu-rays the other day of some of his movies that I haven't seen. Uh, Or, like, some Region 2 DVDs, I think. Like, it's that kind of of lack Mm -hmm. of availability. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the movie is just incredible. I, just one more kind of closing comment about Brisson. I think his films have such a, a fascinating rhythm to them because there's so little music and the sound design is so increased on all the um, natural sound effects that are happening. It kind of like pulls you into a, a rhythm of the film and it, it kind of drives the the pacing of the movie in a really interesting way. Brisson really cared about the pacing of his films and and making sure that they moved along at the exact right speed. And I think the sound design is a big part of that. It's something I always notice in his films that there's just something about them. There's like, I've never thought that a film had a rhythm before until I saw Brisson's work. And I'm like, there's just something about this movie that is just, it, it creates this, this, this really, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's just, 
it's it's strange. I think in Largent, it's it's very obvious, and, and in Manuscape, it's there to probably to a lesser degree. But yeah, I mean, um, I love Robert Brisson. If you're at all curious about his work, I would highly recommend you check out A Man Escaped, and then if you find that interesting, proceed from there in whichever direction you choose. So uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Afterthoughts. I have been your host, Michael Dixon. With me, as always, John Garcia. I'm not doing the French accent again. I'm just that's not. That's probably best. We are uh, French uh. listeners that are the only people who've listened to this episode. <laughs> I have offended at the beginning of it, so I apologize. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, anyways, <laughs> I, I think we have to be much more concerned about our French audience than our Amish or even Scientologists. Like that French <laughs> population, that's yeah. pretty big. Yeah. Yes. And, and outside France, just anybody speaking French. Yeah. We should take this opportunity to again, reiterate, uh, that the Amish can go fuck themselves. Beautiful language. <laughs> Beautiful Romantic. language. We love yeah, language. the we Amish love the language, French. don't we, folks? Oh, wait, we're not talking about the Amish <laughs> language. <laughs> uh, and my other co-host. Yeah, do I have Amish Duolingo? Can I get... How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, back, we, we offend someone else. It's okay. All right. That's how we get out of it. Yeah. Uh, Ryan King. I, I like how this is how you guys trick me into watching good movies because when you're the other movie that I watched this week, you're going to again question why would you spend your time on that when you could have actually watched like the Brisson film or something that we keep saying you need to watch? <laughs> you have no idea how often that thought crosses through my mind when I hear about every, the shit that every you guys week. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.